0: And we're back with the Creator Club Podcast. Thanks for jumping in. I hope you've had a great start to the week. You are here with John Marsh. And if you're a coach or creative business owner, on the show, we teach you the key skills to attract dream clients into your business, learn to love your selling and your sales process, and grow your business with confidence. All right, today on the show, we've got a great conversation with Natalie Vandermeer. Natalie is the creator, the founder of On Home Ground. On Home Ground is a values-based design and education consultancy. So Natalie and her team specialize in designing off-grid and eco-effective homes. And in this conversation, we talk about Natalie's journey into small business, and starting to grow that business. So the first couple of years and what that journey looked like and all the way up to where she is now, we also talk about the type of work that she does, uh, her unique views and perspectives on the briefing process uh, when she works with a client, which is very cool and also her emphasis on values and the importance that values have in your home and the importance that values have in your business as well. So it's a really insightful conversation. Uh, I love finding out more about Natalie's work. And there's a lot of takeaways in here for anyone in business. Uh, in particular, when you listen to Natalie's journey, you'll hear about a lot of the patience uh, and industriousness that she has and that, to be honest, that it really takes in small business. Uh, and then also the work around values is very, very important as well. Uh, in any coaching or creative business so thanks for jumping in once more you're here with john marsh let's start the episode this is the creative club podcast and you're here with natalie vandermeer from on home ground what got you into buildings and design and houses was it like a childhood dream sort of thing you knew exactly what you were going to do or what how did it unfold for you
1: (sighs) I guess I've talked about this with Ruby before. Um, And we kind of, I had to think about where did this come from? When I was in high school, I didn't have a direction. I didn't, there wasn't something I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. Um, And a friend of my mum's was an architect. And I did some really casual work for him, uh, like mowing his lawn Mm. and that kind of stuff, painting his house. And he told me stories about, when he worked for Jornutsen doing the opera house. Yeah. And that was, wow. that was really cool. Um, Big leagues. Yeah. yeah. This something, was pre-high school? This was kind of when I was like 14, 15. Yeah. Um, and to hear about something as iconic as the opera house was like, oh, okay, this is like, that's a cool thing. But then as I've thought about this more, as I've written, you know, my the story of On Home Ground and how it's come about, I realized that there was so many things in my childhood. Like when I was really young, like under 10, playing Barbies, we'd all, there'd be a couple of friends and we would um, put all of the furniture in a pile in the middle and take a turn and pick one piece of furniture each. And then we'd have to set up this this Barbie room. Yeah. And by the time, this would take us like hours. And by the time we ended up, finishing the space i didn't want to play barbies yeah. like that was, that <laughs> that was, was the it game. that was the game i yeah. was like okay let's move on now yeah and then when i was a teenager um we lived out of town we lived in a really rural area and oftentimes after school it would be just me mom would still be at work and i'd play the sims and the same thing would happen yeah. i'd spend hours researching all the codes and the cheats to make the biggest most amazing houses and then spend five minutes playing the, the players sense, yeah. and then i'd get so bored because you can be human every day
0: yeah yeah i love it so did you what happened once you got through school how, was that an easy decision
1: <sighs> yes and no um i kind of put architecture first i guess because at the time i thought well it's something that you can be an architect until the day you die. Yeah. So it's something that like some of my favorite architects did work until over a hundred. Yeah. So that was one thing that no matter where you go, you've always got those skills. Mm. Um, You don't need a lot of stuff to be an architect, although computers kind of is important now. Um, But I guess having the opportunity to work for someone else or work for yourself, Um, to take your skills wherever you want to go it was the ultimate independence really yeah, freedom huh? yeah
0: yeah I didn't know any architects when I was young but one of my probably big most influential mentors was a friend of my parents and he was lots older and he was a designer uh, but he also designed houses and amusement park rides and stuff and he was I remember being young looking to him he had this white beard and gray hair and I was like he almost had this like patina as he got older with his like pencils and it was something about it like just watching him work one time he helped me shape a surfboard and when I was like teenager and I just remember thinking like this guy's so cool like he's just he's designing things and then they're getting built and it's all because of what he's doing you know
1: and sometimes it's those most influential people it's their attention to detail it's mm. their ability to be able to say hey what, what what does it feel like when you turn that doorknob? Like, does that make your hand feel cold? And realizing that those tiny minute details are the things that actually as a human make, you know, make you feel good or any kind of way. Those are the things that really stick with you.
0: So how did you go from uni because Ruby did architecture and then ended up in a firm and then another firm in Sydney and... I imagine people go lots of different ways. Uh, What did you do? Because obviously we'll get to your business and what you do now. But was it like a straight shot? I'm going to go my own path. Or how did you sort of go about that post-uni section?
1: I walked straight into a job um, with a great firm straight out of uni, like the week after I'd finished my exams and that kind of thing. Did you study here? Yeah, I did. Newcastle. Yeah, Um, both degrees. And I got the opportunity to learn from some of the um, visiting professors, um, which even now I still kind of pinch myself that they're some of the most respected and and most amazing architects in Australia. And to have them just, you know, sit down and do a little nothing drawing, it's like, can I frame Can that? Can I sign that? <laughs> Can you sign the back of yeah. that, please? Yeah. Um, so after I finished uni, I walked into this great job um, in a firm that was moving from a sort of a boutique residential um, architecture firm into something that was becoming a lot bigger and they were doing a lot of commercial stuff, um, working on really big jobs, Um and it took me a couple of years. I loved working with the crew. Mm-hmm. They were such a great group of people.
0: Is this in Newcastle or something? Uh, on the Central Coast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was a really close-knit group and we had such a great time together. Um, but for me, after probably two years, the projects that we were focusing on and also, I guess, the one thing that I thought was missing the most was um, was that really big deep dive you get at the start of a project Mm -hmm. with clients. Um, For me, I found it really hard to spend, you know, an hour with a client. And from that one hour, you're supposed to design their most intimate spaces. And for me, it felt like there was a really big something missing something's like hang on a second it's i not enough i don't know these people well enough like it's the same as you know going to see a doctor for the first time how can a doctor know your whole life 10 minutes um so that was kind of a big prompt for me to rethink the whole process and go well what do i want to get out of it what how do i want to make people feel mm. um and for me homes are i guess they're such a huge part of our identity. They're our safest spaces. They're the spaces that we close the door on our ourselves, on, on the world outside, on the mask that we put on to, you know, go to the shop. Um, so to be able to come home at night and take off that, that jacket and be yourself mm. um, was really important to me. So... That's one of the reasons, I guess, and it was a huge leap going from a full-time, well-paid role into no money, yeah. <laughs> nothing, you know, nothing permanent, no jobs, um, nothing was online. I had no clients. It was really just, what can I do now?
0: So you basically went from, I did the same thing out of corporate actually, you went from salary then you were walked in you're like oh it's not gonna work i'm gonna leave like where are you going well and they're expecting some grand plan and you're like i'm gonna figure it out
1: yeah and when i when i told the firm that i was leaving um a lot of some of the more senior architects quite rightly said like you don't have enough experience Mm. to go out and do it on your own and it's true i didn't have enough experience but the first two years of going out on my own really was like the hard yards of okay how do I find a client how do I do those first few interactions where you know I'm trying to really get to know them and trying to make them feel comfortable and make them feel like I know what I'm doing Um, and all the other parts of business like how do you set up a business how do you what do you need Um, what kind of you know skills outside of architecture what what are they mm. um and and also the other great thing that i learned in those first two years was how to work in my own space in my own head in my own time mm. um, and that took i guess a little bit of adjustment but then when it came to two years ago when everyone had to work from home i was like cool i yeah i can do this hands yeah. down yeah i'll show you how to do it <laughs> yeah. go ahead
0: It's funny. I never, or not funny, but I, when you said that, I realized, I don't think we talk about that enough, that ability to just work at, whether it's home or home office or whatever, uh, in your own time. But now that you say it, I remember that, and it is a shock, like, because you're now on what's happening today or what's happening all week, right? And so you've got to create that.
1: Yeah, you've got to really create structure for yourself. Yeah. And I think there's there's times that you kind of flounder and you know procrastinate and, and find a million other things to do, whether it's cooking dinner or anything. When you're in your own home, there's a million other jobs you can mm. do. Um, but when you have the why... When you know why you're here doing this, mm. then the structure eventually falls into place.
0: Yeah. So I'd love to hear about your work now. Like, what, how did you evolve it? What did you, when you got the first projects and started to, you know, do the work and go, wow, this can actually, you know, be a thing and I can succeed in this. What did you bring into your work? Like, how did you? What What do you do with a house or with a space? What's on home grounds? Um, flavor or tone, or how do you? How do you do it? You know, how do you do the work?
1: When I first started on my own, I more or less took on whatever job mm-hmm. was going, just to get some, you know, cash flow and experience, and just to figure out all of the kind of banal architecture stuff like planning and councils and how to deal with all those kinds of things. And it took a while to find, I guess, the motivation to, you know, work on the jobs that weren't creatively amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But what that kind of process taught me or evolved into was... Creating a really strong brief, um, getting that brief from a client um, took, probably, it took probably almost 12 to 18 months for me to write the first rendition of what's now the client brief questionnaire, um, which is a huge deep dive into how do you live, yeah. who are you? What do you like doing? What do you, what do you do at home? When do you get home? Who lives at home? How long are you going to be at home for?
0: Yeah. So um, this is going back to the realization you had earlier, which was the hours on enough before. So they really were only giving them an hour.
1: Yeah. that's Surely not a, there was bits like down the line or something. Yeah. I mean, you have constant kind yeah. of contact with clients. Um, but that first meeting where, you know, you might be going to see the site, you might be doing a measure up, um, taking photos a lot happening A lots happening yeah. and sometimes you it might be only you where you've got to either somehow record all that information not forget anything and then somehow pull out of that something that's meaningful mm. um and my brain didn't really just didn't feel like that was anywhere near enough of detail to be able to make something that people wanted to, to build, to spend the money on, to invest in. Yeah. Um, So
0: did you create, come up, like, did you just sit down and like come up with it? How did you, how did you do that? How did you create it or design the briefing?
1: A lot of it was, I guess, my own questions about, yeah, how people wanted to live, how they, how they really use their house every day. What kind of facilities do you use? What kind of um, things you enjoy doing. Do you like watching TV? Do you hate watching TV? Just more musings about how we actually live. Um, and that kind of mushroomed from there into now, um, a questionnaire that's multifaceted and and takes in everything from how you use your house to what kind of design you like. And, um, and that's kind of a, an evolving conversation now. Um, so, the, the questionnaire that people do at the start of projects now turns into our project scope, which is basically a, a return brief mm-hmm. um, where we answer the questionnaire and say, look, this is what we think you want. Are we on the money or not? Yeah. Um, and that's been a really helpful tool for people to be able to reassess and go, do we need that second bathroom or whatever the thing is, you know, do we need the fourth bedroom? Slowing down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because it's like in it reminds me of what can happen in business too, where it takes a while to you you there's a tendency to want to rush things. But if you can just get even a little bit of the whole starting with the end in mind, like it doesn't need to in business always be the crystal clear vision, like the first very first day or whatever, but getting an understanding of like what it looks like. And you know, if you had a very low price point, it's going to mean you're going to need to work with thousands of people. Do you want to do that? like, but those questions aren't always asked at the beginning and it will change the whole trajectory of what you do. Um, I imagine that it would have taken some kind of some courage or some guts to do it because from the sales or enrollment perspective, if you meet the client, especially if you're new, um, did you ever come across of like, well, I just, I would I, love to work with these people and, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to slow right down and take them through this longer briefing process where, it might not be resolved as quickly, and but at the same time, like, I'm, I, you know, I want to work with these people. Like, was there a, was there a um, maturing or was there a process that you went through internally to be able to do that and offer that service to them? Or was it just natural?
1: No, it's definitely taken some time to really get confident in being able to lead people through that process because... Like you say, often when people first sort of start the process, they're really excited mm-hmm. and they and they just want to get into building and they want to be living there now. Yeah. Um. So to be able to take someone's hand and say, "Hang on a second, let's let's look at what you say you want uh, and really break that down. And what does that mean? How do we make that happen? Like if you want a two-story sandstone amazing house well how are you going to make that happen in the real world Mm. um because that's that takes steps that takes time um you're not going to walk in tomorrow to that house Mm. um so it took a bit of courage to i guess step into that guide leadership role where i felt like um i could be the person that I could say to people, it's okay to go slow. Yeah, it's okay to slow it down a little bit. Yeah, you're not going to miss out because
0: um, you're almost breaking bad news in a sense. <laughs> like it's not, but like a lot of people want to sweep that under the rug and get things going. And you're like, actually, we should address this now. Yeah, which which I I love that. I think that's the um that's, uh, way better. Like it's 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 powerful.
1: If you put it in terms of like business and sales. When you put, I guess, the scary bits, you know, how much things are going to cost, when you put those things up front, Mm. then you take away that fear somewhere down the track when you've already committed and you're already, you know, six months in and then you're going, oh, hang on, I can't afford this anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you think have been some of the, biggest things that you've learned from that point like I guess as you've evolved and as you've worked with different projects and different types of homes like what have you learned and where has it taken you to now
1: probably one thing that I've really learned is that the more I vocalize my values and and live within my values, the more that becomes magnetic, Mm. the more people take notice, the more people are interested in what I'm doing because what I'm doing is genuine and comes from a place of real experience. Um, So that's been a really great but also hard thing to learn at the same time because sometimes it's really hard to step in the fullness of... Your values, because sometimes you have messiness in your life, and it's you know it's not always sunshine and rainbows and roses. Sometimes mm. your values, it's hard to stick to them because there's a million other things that are saying, "Look at me," or "Come this way." Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you step into that fullness of your values, the more other people go, "Oh, hang on a second, they're doing that. Why can't I?" Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that it's gotten easier over time?
1: Yeah, definitely. And now, two, two and a bit years in, um, I don't have to look for clients anymore. Yeah. Right. People are coming to me because they really want what I have to offer. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really exciting. But it's also, it means that I'm on the right track. It means that the thing that I've been postulating about for years is actually what other people want too.
0: Mm. So good. I feel like we could talk about that bit for the rest of the whole time. One thing that... Uh, well, one question I have is when that started to happen and you got like your first, you know, it might have been two referrals in a row or the first thing where it was, it wasn't just like, you know, a friend of a friend or something where like someone came to you. Um, how did that feel? Like that must've been pretty big.
1: It is. It's always kind of like when all of the work that I get is word of mouth. That's, That's the strongest, um, I guess funnel, um, for my business. And, it's a really kind of neat experience when you hear someone say, oh, such and such, you know, showed me through the house or um, told me about the project that you did here. Um, You know, we'd love to to know more about how you work. And that's, I guess it's not something that I kind of considered would happen. Um, I guess because for most business, you know, Word of mouth referral isn't really a huge, um, I guess it depends on what industry you're in, but word of mouth referral is usually a really low percentage of, of work that you get coming in. You know, other marketing things are usually much higher, but to have other people in my community believe in what I do and believe in the skills that I have and the vision that I have, um, yeah, it's really neat.
0: Mm, enough to tell, to... Because there's friction in referring someone. Like if I'm going to refer someone to the ice cream store that I love, Popolo, it's like, if I'm going to say, hey, you should go there. Like there's friction in that, in that if they don't do a good job, I've tarnished my relationship with them. I've sent them the wrong way. So when you start getting referrals, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like it, it means that they're, they're seeing enough resonance and enough love of your work that they're going to step over that friction, put their relationship on the line and say, cause they're basically trusting their relationship with your work. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah. And for something as like for a project as intense and as long as a house, yeah. you know, that's, that's a major, probably the biggest investment people make. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for someone to put your name forward it's a huge pat on the back.
0: Yeah. The other question I had, and I thought you could maybe share with us a little bit deeper on, is you said it was like a couple of years before you saw people coming to you. And in the period before that, it was you going to people and outreaching, which is, um, you know, super normal. It's just, it's like natural across, I would say, all business. Uh But also for some businesses, especially now, I think in the online space, it can be really tempting when people will come in and they'll see others in the similar market, you know, doing well or looking like they're doing well, you know, now it's so hard to tell what's going on um, and feel as though we should be getting that sort of flood of people coming or, or even just consistent people coming in six months or 12 months or even two years but you started the conversation off with the architectures like something I can do till I'm 100 mm-hmm. and so two years is really like nothing and that's how I think about it I'm like look like you know we've done retail or other businesses where to to pay off the initial investment and get people coming and get actually working took a long time and a lot of like effort I wonder if you could talk to that sort of patience of that time and going through that and, you know, just sort of staying the course and not giving up and and throwing it in after six months or whatever. Like, how do you see that and how do you keep going and and get to where you got to, which is kind of like a bit of a tipping point, I suppose.
1: Mm. Um, Probably one of the things that really helped me to keep putting one foot in front of the other all the time is knowing that or the knowledge that to the business that I wanted to build was always going to be bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Um, That the vision that I had wasn't just that it was going to be me working in my little home office for the rest of, of my life. I wanted it to grow into something that other people loved and cared about and really championed as well and knowing that fact that i wanted it to be bigger than just me it meant that i really focused on the systems and the processes and the back end and you know all of the setting up documents and doing all those kind of really boring stuff Mm. um that (laughs) meant that now when I, now that I have someone working for me and a few different people doing things for me, those things are ready to go. Mm. Um, and as I hopefully take on more stuff, that only gets m- the things, the processes get easier and quicker and faster because I've done that back-end work when I was looking for clients, when I was looking for work, um, writing things like the brief questionnaire and, and stuff like that. Um, now it's second nature mm. and I can give that knowledge to the people who do work for me and, and give them, I guess, <laughs> indoctrinate them, <laughs> yeah. um, in those, those beliefs, those processes that work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you basically use the time productively if you didn't have client work at the time you had enough faith in the vision to go well i i also need these documents i need this back end stuff so i can build that today or yeah. i can work on that this week yeah it's a lot of maturity that's very difficult like for your first you know for leaving corporate and then basically from what i'm kind of picking up learning the whole thing from direct marketing or relationships to sales to all of the processes um, basically by feel, it's pretty massive.
1: It's definitely, I mean...
0: Did you have a mentor like in architecture? Like, or was it...
1: No, yeah. not not after I'd left my, my um, professional job, my corporate role. Um, I considered getting a mentor um, a number of times and kind of had a few bits and pieces where I was sort of doing some... Um, tutoring at uni and was able to touch base with some people that were more senior. Um, but a lot of the things that I've done have just been, like you say, by feel. And sometimes they haven't worked. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I've had to garbage them. Um, and that's that's always, a, I guess, a bit of a tough pill to swallow. Um, but the more, like you would know, Everything in business, when you make a mistake or, you know, it doesn't go the way you planned, there's there's still something that you can go, but that was worth knowing. That was worth learning, that whole thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That conversation's popped up a lot recently. Everything is, there's no, there's no, there's no real losses. If you're still in the game, there's nothing that's really a loss. It's a learning experience. Like you're either moving forward or you're learning with something that's an obstacle as long as you can keep playing the game, you know, which is cool. Uh, Okay. So do you want to talk about any projects? I don't know what you can share or not, or any work that you love or things of that nature that uh, light you up and with what you do.
1: Uh, I guess now, so for the last six months that I've really stepped back into um, on home ground, in a big way, um, since having my daughter, the focus has really uh, evolved or and intensified into creating homes that are joyful to live in, creating homes that are eco effective. Um, so that's a term that I I wish was in the media more and I'm gonna make it my mission to make that term become a, a thing.
0: Can you teach us about that? Because yeah. there's a green there's another greenwashing thing happening.
1: Yeah. So eco-effective in my this is my um my version of what eco-effective means is that something is eco-effective when it works for you and the environment. So there's no point in wanting the most sustainable house in the world if you can't pay for it. There's no point in being totally off-grid if your lifestyle doesn't, you know, doesn't... If you don't want to be off-grid. If you don't want to be off-grid. So the term eco-effective really means that it has to be sustainable for the environment, but for you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Makes total sense now, doesn't it? But it's one of those things that... Yeah, I can see how that would be uh, important. Even where my parents live back in New Zealand, it's off-grid, it's off, on this island. And I love it, but Ruby's like so-so on it. And it's like, I'm like, but it's off-grid and there's <laughs> solar and there's just like natural water. and But it's like, well, yeah, but I don't know if it's effective, right? Like, I don't know if it's a fit to live there. Um, so are you able to deploy that like is that that's kind of like your
1: absolutely um the projects that i'm working on now there's i've got a number of houses that are that are off grid um mostly around the hunter valley um a few sort of down on the blue mountains and as far north as port Macquarie, um and the really exciting part for me is that the people who want to live in these houses are really want to be engaged in the process, and they want to they want to understand what it means to be to live a sustainable lifestyle and what it means to have a home that is eco effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also not afraid of it. They're not afraid to look at a different material. They're not afraid to see what's outside of. The things you see in the magazines, um, the things that the materials that everyone builds from, the traditional processes, the building construction that most builders are happy to build with. Mm. Um, and it's really exciting as a designer to have clients who are like, hell yeah, let's, let's look at that. Let's, let's build a mud brick or a rammed earth or a hemp house mm, cool. um, because why not? Um, let's build tiny houses let's let's change how we actually let's change the narrative of how we live Mm -hmm. and that's that's something that for me is at the core of why I do what I do because we've lived we have so much knowledge and understanding of what it's like to live well now Mm -hmm. and We're underutilizing so many things and overusing so many resources to create homes that aren't healthy, that don't let us live our best life, um, that don't connect us with the outside, that don't connect us with our community. Mm. Um, So, being able to work on projects where people are saying hell yes to those things is the best thing about my job.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, do you want to talk at all about the team leading the team and how that's been for you?
1: Yeah, that's even a little, little bit. Um, that's something that I, I'm not really a leader by, I'm not a natural born leader. Um, I don't like to stand out in a crowd. I don't like to be the one on show. Um, so I guess it's taken some time to really find the bits of leadership that I, that I am comfortable with and that I really think are worth pushing. Um, and it probably means that my leadership style is different to, I'd say any, (laughs) any leadership that I've ever sort of had the pleasure of working under or working with um but I guess that that's a really important part of how I work is that my role as a designer isn't to tell someone what they should have in their house and that goes the same with the people who work for me my role isn't to tell you how you should do it or what you should be doing it's it's to have to be a guide and to collaborate with you and to know how you want to do it how do you what can you put forward what can you bring to the table because you've got a different experience to me Mm. you've lived in other houses you've traveled to different places you've seen other things that I haven't so your experience is just as valid as mine even though I might have more industry experience or I might have more study experience it doesn't mean that what you have to put in isn't as valuable as mine
0: mm. yeah and it's one of those things isn't it with the leadership stuff that you just constantly learn and I think that we're we're all learning from basically scratch. Like you know what I mean? It's always from scratch. It's like as soon as you think you're learning something, you you really are still at scratch. You know what I mean? It's like it's such a it's such a cool um it's such a cool thing. It's just always evolving. Uh is there anything else that's on the horizon for on home ground that you want to share or talk about um coming up or Obviously, any offers or any things that people should know about?
1: One thing that I do want to share is um, the idea that the values that you have, if you're someone who's looking at, you know, starting a project whether it's a renovation or a new home or some other kind of project, the most important thing that you have as a client throughout the whole process to add is your values. Um, And the reason why they're so important is that they help you to make decisions when it gets tough. So when you're six months into a build and things are going really (laughs) pear-shaped... If you can come back to those values, the ones that you came to at the start of the project, then it's the contract that you have with yourself so that, you know, if you decided that you can't go over a certain budget or if you don't want to work with a person that works in a certain way, you get to come back to those and go, hang on, I made that agreement with myself. I decided that this is what I was going to live by and that makes that decision easy for me now because now I can just go, oh, yeah, or no, Mm. that's it. And it doesn't necessarily make the conversation that you may need to have around that any easier, Mm. but it makes the choice a heck of a lot easier and that's something that I think that we can that we can foster a lot more in architecture and design. Um, I, in the next couple of months, I'm gonna be running uh, some workshops around um, decision-making based on your values. Um, So that's gonna be um, one based in Newcastle and hopefully one in the Hunter Valley or Lake Mac as well. I was gonna
0: ask in person. Yeah,
1: Yeah. in person, so I and really? that's just
0: this could be anyone, or is this architecture specific?
1: Oh, it could be anyone. Yeah.
0: Because um, as you said all that, I was like, yeah, that's like, you know, that's really key. That seems like it would be really key in all a business, right? Yeah. Like it really anything you're building, kind of towards your vision. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, when are when are those?
1: Uh, So, I'm currently looking at venues um, and I'll be putting some dates out on social media in in the next uh, few weeks. Um, And we have a website that's going to be up and out in the world in probably next month. Um, So, at the moment, we've got um, a landing page up with our free opt-in. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to have a website and and showcase a little bit more of the work that we have been doing Hmm. Um, the projects that we have uh, that are completed are beautiful and they're amazing to to be in Um, so to be able to share that with people is something that i'm really excited about
0: yeah i can imagine that would be awesome cool well thank you so much natalie is there anything else you'd like to add
1: um, I just want to thank you for having the conversation with me today. Yeah. Um, it's really nice to be able to share something that I'm really passionate about. And the Creator Club is has been probably, as a small business owner, the best thing that's happened to me.
0: Oh, you're very generous. <laughs> well, we're, we're really glad to work with you and I'm very thankful to have the conversation and learn from you and um, I think if you're listening you know obviously any one of the things that we love is to bring different it's it's funny it's like different industries but similar not always exactly the same world views but there's a thread that goes through of how people who come on the show or people who we talk to see the world and I love that because like I was pulled you know from engineering and then I get to talk to architects and I get to talk to brand people and coaches. And, um, so I, I constantly learn from you and from, from everyone who comes on here. So I'm always really appreciative of, you know, you for sharing all of that and, um, always get some takeaways. So thank you for that. And I think if you're listening, um, all of this stuff just applies to really any business, you know, any vision you want to build. It's kind of like your home you know you're building a business you're building a vision building a home
1: yeah make the investment make the investment um and the the people in the creator club we're all change makers we mm, want to see the change and we want like we're we're working on it yeah all of us yeah um so regardless of too. the industry
0: yeah yeah working on it is a good term yeah it takes takes effort doesn't it yeah yeah Awesome, well thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening. I will drop your notes, sorry, handle is the correct term, into the notes for your Instagram and then your website or landing page will put up there as well. If you're listening, go check out Natalie's work on Home Ground with those links, follow along and, That's it from me and that's it for this episode of Creative Club Podcast. We'll see you on the next one.